Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. We hope you enjoy the message. So we're in the middle of of the sermon series that we're calling Untangled, and the tagline is Untangling the Most Misused Verses in the Bible. And what we've learned is that there are occasions that we can take uh, Bible verses and we can lift them out of context and maybe misapply or maybe misunderstand them. And so what we're trying to do is we're looking at, at some of these verses and hopefully we'll gain a better understanding of the meaning of the text that we're looking at and how we could apply it a little bit with more meaning. And so two weeks ago, uh, Pastor David Hodge, he taught on us, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And uh, we were reminded that the context of that is contentment. You know, that's, that's a big challenge, isn't it? And then last week, uh, uh, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I know the plans that I have for you. And uh, Pastor Chad Crouch led us to understand the context of that verse. And I did have some folks that, you know, that commented on, uh, on Chad's sermon. He said, man, that guy comes with some energy. And then he looked at me and said, are you going to do that too? And I said, there ain't enough Red Bull that I can consume in a week that will get me to that point. But it does challenge us to really understand what these verses mean. And... Um, and I think I understand uh, what's happened in our culture is that we tend to lift these verses out without understanding the importance of the book that it's in. In other words, context rules. And so whenever you read your Bible, you understand, all right, here's a, here's a verse from Philippians. Well, what, what does that book, what is that about? What, who was it written to? Why it was written? And, and it helps us understand the meaning of that particular verse. And then when you get into that particular book, when we come to the verse, understand, okay, all the way around this, this verse are other thoughts and ideas that build into this one that I really need to understand. And so basically, it's, it's like this. Um, you know, if you picked up a John Grisham book and you just started halfway through, could you figure out the story? Probably. But you wouldn't know the whole story. I, I told my family how I read novels, and they got on to me, so I'm going to tell you as well. So here's how I do it, because I, I get tired of how these writers come to the end, and they, they always have these twists at the end of their books, and you think, had I known that, I wouldn't have read it. And so there's, here's my walk around, and if that's your frustration, here's how you can get around that. You ready? I read the first 15 pages get the characters, then I go to the very back, read the last 15 pages, and if I like the ending, I'll read the rest of it. <laughs> and I was reminded, there's two couple things that my family said, it says, you can't do that like there's some law. I say, yes, I can, because I bought the book, it's mine. And then they say, but, but you don't understand, this, this is true, you're missing the whole story. Mm. And so that's what happens sometimes Whenever we, we look, take a, a verse that we might like, and we're not aware of all that's around it. So then we come to Romans 8.28, and we probably can have a handle on it, but, but the caution is, is, do we really understand everything that's around this verse so that we understand and appreciate in its fullness? So here's what we're going to do today. Um, I'm going to start in just a minute. We're going to read this verse together, and we're going to come out of four different translations. 
because that really helps us understand a particular verse. And then after we do that, we're going to talk about the history of the book of Romans, just a little bit, just to get a get a, a good understanding of why that book was written. And then we'll get into chapter 8, and we'll explore all the way around that that uh, chapter to help us understand when we get to our verse, and then we're going to lock in on the word good. What exactly does that mean when we hear and see the word good? So let's look at this verse set in, in, in our Bibles, and I, I, like I said, I have four different translations, so you can open your Bibles if you brought your page, uh, your, your written Bible, or if you want to go ahead and turn on your electronic Bibles, do that. In fact, if you have your electronic Bibles, you can probably find the translations that we're using. So up on the screen, here we go. And we're going to take the first reading out of the Holman Christian Standard, which is the translation that I use. And here's our verse. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And then when you get to the New Living Translation, it says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. In the English Standard Version, we see, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The message, which is a paraphrase and a a very good paraphrase, says this, and that's why we can be so sure that that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something that is good. Now, whenever I, I, folks heard that I was preaching on this, this verse, I had a number of them come up and say, hey, Jay, that's my favorite verse in the Bible. And then they looked at me like, and don't mess it up either, okay? So let's, get a, let's do, take a quick poll. If Romans 8.28 is in your top 10 of all favorite Bible verses in your life, it's in the top 10, say yes. So I better not mess this up for you, right? All right. So let's take a look at what this means and and ask the question, why is it so popular? Well, I think it's so popular because it speaks to when life hurts the worst. When life kind of comes off the edges and, and we're struggling, this is the verse that we go to because it gives us hope. But now keep in mind something else I think is very important. I'm going to chase this little rabbit for just a second, okay? When you heard Rome, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, it t- did talk about the hardships of life. In fact, a lot of passages do talk about the hardships of life, like today. And, some, and our music spoke about some of the hardships of life. It is well for our soul, but it talks about the hope. And sometimes we can, can come to the conclusion that, that life is all about hardship. And that's not true. That's not true. We forget John 10, 10. I have come that you might have life and have it in abundance. We can forget that the Old Testament talks about how God wants to give his children good gifts. And sometimes we we see life and we say, all right, this season, I'm in this season where it's it's all kind of pain. And then I get into a season where it's all joyful, and then I get another season that's all okay, whatever. But that's really not the way life works. The reality is, is it's kind of like a railroad track, parallel. And so, and there's many moments in life when we are, we experience the sheer thrill of life, but even there we might have pain. Or we might even go through a time when, 
pain can be pretty intense, but even in that moment, we, we can experience joy. So as we understand that, just realize it's not always painful. But let's go back into our passage, and let's look at the key phrase. You ready? All things work together for good. So there it does. What, what does this promise really mean? And does it mean that whatever that happens in life, everything is going to be fine? Hmm. And so I've walked with a number of us in this room, a number of you, through some pretty tough stuff. And some of you have had the phone call. You have cancer. And when you get that call, is it true that all things work together for good? By the way, look in your bulletin. We have a ministry for those who are living with cancer. You need to pay attention to it. When a police officer shows up at your house telling you the child has been arrested, is it true that all things work together for the good? If you lose your job or your marriage is falling apart or all of a sudden you find yourself in a financial situation that's very difficult, is it true that all things work together for good? You see, for some folks, when they look at this passage, it, it seems that for some, Romans eight twenty eight is an unkept promise, or maybe even worse, is it a flat-out lie from God? But coming to that conclusion is a false conclusion. Because when we understand the truth of what is being taught, move out. Maybe how we might misunderstood or misinterpreted, we understand how God can use the difficult circumstances of life. So as I said, we, 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 it helped us to get a full understanding of the Romans and then, and then this chapter that we're looking at. So let me just do like a 30-second overview of the book of Romans. Paul wrote the book of Romans that were Christians in Rome. And it was, it, it, it was pretty tough to be a follower of Christ. In fact, in t- the, the intensity of persecution was just starting at this time uh, in, in society by the Roman government. And so when Paul wrote this book, he, one of the purposes was to clarify what it meant to be a Christ follower. And if I were to summarize the book of Romans, this one or two verses that really summarizes it, I think you will find it in Romans 5, verses 1 through 2. You can see it on the screen. Romans 5, verses 1 through 2 helps, gives us a good summary of the book of Romans when Paul says, Therefore, since we have been de- declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which you stand. I'm going to stop there for a second. That's a really good uh, sentence to underline. We stand in this faith into grace by which we stand. Because that's how we live, in his grace. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And so in other words, all the, all the chapters, that it, the first part of Romans, is Paul was clarifying the grace that we stand, the hope that we have, the redemption that we have in Christ. It's not because we're good enough. It's not that we deserve it. It is a gift that has been given to us and that we are redeemed through him. But then Paul was very aware of the circumstances that the people in Rome lived in. 
he understood the hardship. And so he said, now this, this is your position. This is who you are in Christ. But now let me tell you how this fleshes out in the day-to-day life. And so that's whenever he starts in, in chapter 8, verse 1, he has the word, therefore. And, and he says, therefore, where there's no condemnation. Now, when you read your Bibles, always look at therefore, because that's a word of conclusion. It's a word that shows results. So that, in other words, here's Paul. He says, now you are the redeemed. You, you, you're the redeemed people because of grace. You're redeemed people because of the work on the cross. Because of your faith, you're the redeemed. Now, therefore, as a result of this, this is the reality of how you live your life. And so he gets into chapter 8. But the key verse for us to really understand 828 is found in verse 18. And here's what I want you to do. In your, if you have your paper version, I want you to find Romans 8, 18. I want you to draw a line down to verse 28. In your digital, you just highlight both and you make a notation. These verses support one another. In fact, you fully understand what Paul is talking about whenever you go back up to verse 18. Notice what he says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. So there it is. In this life, we will suffer. We are going to experience heartache. Christians lose their jobs. Children rebel against the values that they've been taught. Christians, they get sick. Christians will die. Christians live with depression and mental illness. That is a reality. But in the middle of all of these things that we experience that are common to everybody else, there's God. In fact, what Paul would say is that you're going to experience some heartache that is common to everybody else in life. Just because you're a follower of Christ does not exempt you from these things. Now, there's a line of theology that's out there that says that all that God wants you to do, he wants you to be healthy, he wants to be blessed, and they've taken that idea and they have sabotaged this meeting. It's heresy. But also understand that there are going to be times when we suffer simply or direct a consequence of being a Christ follower. And some of you at work have already experienced that. Because of your faith, you've experienced some type of level of heartache and of suffering. But notice also in in this verse, uh, verse 18, there's this word glory. Now, what does that word glory mean? It is a reference to heaven. It's a reference to that moment in life when we stand face to face with the Lord. Jesus promised it. He promised it in John. He says, in my Father's, in heaven, there are many houses, many mansions, and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am going to come back and to receive you to myself that where I am, there you're going to be also. The truth of the matter is, the experience that we have in life of being a Christ follower does not make sense apart from heaven. Some people have the belief that Christianity 
All it's designed to do is just to make us better people. Now, that's a result of our faith. But the, 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 the essence of Christianity is that we're in relationship with the risen Lord who will transform us into his image. But in that transformation, there is this promise that is given to us. Now, we have no idea of what heaven's going to be like. But I think the most beautiful picture that we can find about heaven is found in Revelation chapter 21. You can see it up on the screen. When John writes about heaven, he said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. And he will live with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And now this is the most beautiful part of this verse. You guys ready for this? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will no longer will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. See, this promise puts in perspective our sufferings. And what Paul says is that the things that we see, the experiences, the, the, the sufferings we experience now are pale in comparison of what we will experience in heaven. And so until that time, Paul would write in chapter 18, he says, we groan for it. We look for it. In fact, humanity looks for it. So then we take this idea of good. And so we go back into our verse. It says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And so the the place that this verse gets twisted is when we look at the word good. What, what does that really mean? If, if Paul is, is using that word good in kind of what is happening in our, our contemporary culture where it has a materialistic uh, kind of definition, we're all, we will never understand this verse as it should be. See, what happens is that some people think that this, ver- this word good means health. In other words, if you love the Lord, you will always be healthy. That's not true. Or you're going to have financial security. Or that you're going to have personal happiness. Or you're going to have all the things that make life easier for you. That's not true. But here's how this plays out on a practical basis. Whenever we're talking to people, and yes, I've heard people use these quotes. Ready? So somebody will say to another person, yeah, you know what? I know that you've lost your job. And I know it paid you well. But don't worry, God is going to give you a better job and you're going to make more money because Romans 8.28 says that. How do you know that? Could it be that God took somebody out of a job to help them reorient out of materialistic lifestyle? Or another one is, hey, I, 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 know, I know your fiance just broke up with you. That's okay. 
God's got somebody better for you, buddy, because Romans 8.28 says that. No, it doesn't. Or what I've heard at some funerals, and now, folks, if you want to get my blood pressure to go up a little bit more than it needs to be, you just say this. Hey, I, I know your husband just died, but you don't need to cry. Because you know what Romans 8.28 says. I actually heard that. Or, you know, I know you just lost your job, but don't be worried. You see, whenever we, we move out of the materialistic mindset, we won't understand this verse. But here's what we do know, that God is weaving through our life experiences a three-throw purpose. So when we think about uh, this verse, a good, it has a three-fold outcome. The good is that God can be glorified. The other good is that his kingdom will grow. And the third is that the good might be for us and that we're going to be more conformed to his image. So let's take the, the first thing. The idea is that God can be glorified. Now, whenever you're back into this Romans 8.28, you'll notice a very important phrase that I don't want you to overlook where it says, for the good of those who love God. Now, what this means is that we have a passionate desire to know God, to be intimate with God, to love God. And that love of God has changed how we see life. You see, if we are not being transformed, if we're still caught in the me-ism, it's all about me and my good, we won't make sense of this. But whenever we're in this love relationship with God and we say, God, in my life, whatever's happened to it, I ultimately would love for you to be glorified. Jesus said it this way. At the end of his life, Jesus said this, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you've given me to do. So that ought to drive us out of the love relationship we have with the Lord. It ought to drive everything that we do in life. How we go about our work. God, I want you to be glorified in this. How we have conversations with other people. God, I want you to somehow be glorified in this. How we treat people who serve us in restaurants. God, I want you to be glorified in this conversation. And then when we come to those hard moments in life and say, God, I don't know how you're going to use this, but here's how I'm going to approach this. I want you to be glorified. That's pretty tough to do, isn't it? But then that, what about the second idea about his kingdom being advanced? If you were to uh, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you would see some of the hard stuff that Paul lived through because he didn't make this promise in a vacuum. He lived it. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he talked about the, the times that he received 40 lashes. He talked about the times that he was beaten with rods. He talked about when he was stoned. He talked about the times when he was shipwrecked and spent a night in the sea. He talked about the dangers that he lived with every day of his life. He talked about the hardship, the hunger, and the thirst. He talked about how the daily pressures of people who maligned him and said evil things about him that were not true. And then there was the day that stands out for me. Now, I would have died on the spot when this happened. Do you guys remember in Acts whenever the snake bit him? 
Oh, yeah. Paul seemed just to throw it on the ground. I would have been dead. Just, all, it's over. But in all of this, Paul said, your kingdoms are going to advance. In fact, notice in Philippians, and we're going to put it up on the screen, Paul is in prison. And in the, in the, in what he's, he's in captivity. And what happened is that he was taken to Rome, and he was in house arrest, and he was tied up to a praetorian guard, or what we call the imperial guard. Now, those guys were like Delta Force. Those guys were tough warriors. But every day he was tied up to this soldier, and he was waiting to go to trial. And so as this is happening, Paul said this. Hey, I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, I, I, I kind of put myself in that day, all right? So if I use my imagination, I go back and I, I see Paul handling that arrest. I can see him doing this. He said, you know what? I, I, need to, I need to have somebody scribe my letter to the church in Colossae or the the Philippines said, hey, hey, you know, to describe, he said, now, now you sit on the other side of this soldier because, you know, just so we have space. And I can just see Paul leaning up and say, hey, to the church in Colossae, I write this. And that soldier sitting in the middle going, I can't get away from this man. I'm stuck. I can't get out of here. And what happened through that conversation is they saw Paul handle that situation the gospel spread to the imperial guard. A couple months ago, I had this great honor of going to train some missionaries, some international missionaries that we support through our international mission board, and they serve in some pretty tough places. And, and I met one guy who was serving in Egypt. And so I said, man, you, tell, me, tell me what's going on. What's life like in Egypt right now? And he said, Jay, the, the, the Islamic community, they don't know how to handle Christians. I said, you know, you got to tell me more what you mean by that. And he said, well, you remember that on Palm Sunday, two Coptic churches were bombed. Now, do you guys remember that happening? Two Coptic churches were bombed. And 44 people died in those bombings. He said what is also going on is that there's this persecution uh, by some of the, the radical uh, uh, Muslims that when they find out a, a person is a Christian, they'll come up behind them on a motorcycle and they'll shoot them. I said, man, yeah, that, that, that's, our, that's our brothers and sisters. I said, tell me, tell me what's going on. How are they responding? He said, well, the pastor of the Coptic church stood up and he said, For those who sought to do us harm, we give thanks because now 44 of our brothers and sisters are experiencing heaven. And in place of retribution and anger, the Christians are showing love. And the Muslim community doesn't know what to do. I don't know if I have that much courage. This year I've uh, 
been part of a lot of your lives in some pretty tough things. And you amaze me. You encourage me. For some, there's been a, a sickness. Others, there's been some death, uh, some other stuff. But so many of you have said, you know, Jay, I don't know how God is going to use this, but I trust him. By the way, I got some exciting news for you. You ready for some exciting news? Is Michael Crozier in the room? Okay, where's Michael? I'm looking for you. Balcony? He's waving? Okay, Michael, here's the deal. Michael, earlier this year, was diagnosed with leukemia. And it was a really tough journey. And I got a text from Michael. And I said, do you you mind if I share this with the church body? And so I'm going to start the first, and I'm going to let Michael, you're going to yell real loud for me in just a minute. He said, Jay, you can shout this from the mountaintop. So Michael, finish it up. He is in complete remission. Man, is your family up there with you? Carrie there? Okay, yay. And uh, you guys can't see this. I can. There's some excitement in the balcony right now. And so, you know, that is such a great story of how God has moved. And I don't know what Michael is going to use through this, but I can tell you this. Watching that man go through his journey has encouraged me. Now, 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 you guys know we're still in treatment. Okay, because right now I'm wanting to go up and give the man a hug. Can't do that. Fist bump, high five, how you doing, tell me your story, and then he'll be able to give us hugs later on, okay? Man, isn't that exciting how God can do some things like that? So what about the third idea? The third idea that is for our benefit, that God is doing it to help us, you, you need to look down to verse 29. For he said, for those he foreknew, he predestined, now this is key, to be conformed to his image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. So understand that the, the primary purpose, the ultimate good that God is weaving through our life experiences is that we're to be conformed to his image. And so what this means is that all experiences of life, are designed to make us more holy. It's designed to fill us with the greater capacity to love. It's designed to help us to become more humble in our walk, to develop patience, to cultivate our trust in God. And God uses those circumstances. And it could be good things, it could be tough things, but he's using those circumstances in life to make us become more like him. But ask yourself a question. When is that moment in life when we're open to learn the most? It's when life's tough. That's whenever we realize, I can't handle this on my own. That's when we realize, I've got to go deeper with the Lord. That's whenever we learn to trust the Lord more. In fact, Paul even said this in in Romans 5. And he said, and not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Did you catch that? We rejoice in our afflictions because we know 
that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. Improving character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So that good, that good realizes that not every difficult experience will be good in this life. In fact, sometimes the good has to do with the next life entirely. That's why heaven, this, this verse is set in context with heaven. But what he's doing is moving in us to make us more like him. And there have been some conversations when I've been in with, with some of you, and you say, God, you know, Jay, I've, I'm in this thing, and I, right now I just don't understand. And there are those moments. And there are those moments until maybe 10 years down that we can look back and say, Now I see what you did in my life. Or now I see what you did through that for the kingdom. Now I see. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, For now we see indistinctly as in a mirror. And basically he's saying, you know what? We see life sometimes as if we're trying to look through a Coke bottle. We, We don't see his activity. But then face to face, and that day that we stand face to face, we will understand. Now that I now know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. There will be a day. But until then, we will lean in a promise. A promise that Paul wrote about in Philippians 1 6. He says, For I'm sure of this, he who started a good work in you were carried out into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so here's the deal we go through life and we look at life and we say, All right, God, in this moment, I will not learn, lean into bitterness, I will not lean into anger. In this moment of my life, I lean into trust. Because I know that there's good. And I know that you're a good God and I can trust you. And I will lean into you even though I don't understand. And I'm going to lean in in a way that hopefully that people around me don't understand. And that some way, somehow, God, you're going to be glorified to how I walk through this. And somehow, some way, I'm going to lean into this moment. And I'm going to ask that you use this moment to where maybe other people will see you for who you are and have a walk that I have with you and have the same relationship that I have with you. But in this moment as well, I need you to do something in my life, refine my character, refine my life so that I'm more like you. Until then, I trust. Because God sees the big picture. And then we come to the end. And we understand that Jesus, he's not always safe, but he is good. So as we come to the end, we're going to have a time of where you can reflect. And we're, going to, we're about to sing a song as our worship team comes back on the stage. And, and you might want to pull out your response card for a second and say, you know, okay. What does this mean? 
It very well could be that for some, you've not started the journey of faith. And you would put on the card and say, you know, today, I'd like to talk to somebody about what it means to be a Christ follower. And you put that on your card. You put it, and we're going, to, we're going to have an offering basket in a minute. You can put that in. Or I've made a spiritual decision. And, and I, this is the spiritual decision. Or it might be, say, Pastor Jay, I'm in it, and I need somebody to pray for me. You put that in the card. But now as we sing our concluding song, maybe what God is speaking to you is how to see life a little different. Let's pray together. So, Father, we thank you for your grace. And, Father, there are moments in life, Lord, it's just waking up in the morning and trusting you in that moment. Give us that courage. Give us the hope. And, Father, may we be more conformed to your image. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.